1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, March the 31st, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Today, in 1492, King Ferdinand and uh, Queen Isabella of Spain, they issued an edict expelling Jews from Spanish soil. However, they said those who are willing to convert to Christianity can stay. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them and so on. I think he was thinking more of them accepting not being forced to accept but nonetheless Ferdinand and Isabella were out to change the world or something. Today in 1814 Paris was occupied by a coalition of Russian, Prussian Austrian forces. The surrender of the French capital forced the abdication of Emperor Napoleon. Today, in 1917, the United States took formal possession of the Virgin Islands. They took that possession from Denmark. Today, in 1931, Notre Dame college football coach, Newt Rockne, very, very famous guy, an inspiring guy. He was 43 years old. He was killed in a crash of a TWA plane. I think it was in Kansas somewhere. I'm not sure, but I I think it was Kansas. Anyway, his life was cut short. He was a great inspiration to many people, kids and adults as well. Today in nineteen sixty eight, at the conclusion of a nationally broadcast address on Vietnam, President Lyndon B. Johnson stunned listeners by declaring, quote, I shall not seek, I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Today in two thousand nine, Benjamin Netanyahu took office as Israel's new prime minister after the Knesset approved his government. And one year ago today, scientists scientists announced they had finally finished deciphering the full genetic blueprint for human life. Of course. This Sunday is Palm Sunday. I want to talk to you about that today. I want to give you some thoughts about Palm Sunday. That's a little different than what we do daily on this program. But before I get into that and share some thoughts with you about Palm Sunday and what that can mean to us today, I want to just touch on a couple of things. There's a lot going on in our world today, and particularly in the United States, as you know. We live in perilous times. The Bible describes those perilous times. We're fulfilling, we're checking every box on that portion of scripture. But there is the matter with Donald Trump. This is the first time in the history of America that an ex-president is about to be indicted formally at a reign. Never happened before. There's all kinds of questions around this, as you can imagine and and know if you're listening to the news at all. So we're wondering, you know, what's going to happen next. I want to just touch on a couple of things. And as I said, we'll be talking more about this next week as this unfolds. But last night, late yesterday afternoon, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, he officially filed a felony indictment against President Donald Trump. Two weeks ago, Trump had said on his Truth Social platform, his um, social platform, that he said the indictment after a grand jury investigation was coming he said the charges have yet to be revealed so what happens next trump's attorneys are in talks with bragg's office for an arraignment it will reportedly happen sometime this next week some sources this morning are saying it'll happen next tuesday we'll see what we'll see when how how that plays out i don't know what the national response will be i'm sure there will be some that will be angry and do things they ought not to do but the uh, Trump's attorney said that dur- uh, during an interview with Fox last night, they said the Secret Service and the New York City Police Department is, uh, they're talking and they're making plans and they're organizing this. There is the consideration, of course, of the, the um, protection of, of a former president of the United States. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, he said, Alan... Alvin Bragg has irreparably damaged our country. Many people agree with him. And interestingly enough, a lot of people that are not Republican, some of the leaders on the left are saying, boy, this is too far. We, we should not go this far in America because this opens up a Pandora's box. If they can do this to Trump, they can do it to you and to me and to anyone. All of us little people. If they can do this to a former president, it's going to play out, and I'm not going to get into it today, but we will get into it this next week as we learn more about it. But I will say this, that what he has done is immoral, Trump, but what he has done is not a felony. It's a non-disclosure agreement, and I'm not defending what he did. I'm just telling you, I know that much, and so do a lot of other people. So we'll we'll get into that, and we'll see where that goes this next week. But um, another uh, civil attorney that represents Trump um, said there, there will be some, some finger pointing and some, um, the, uh, during the arraignment, and a, the, a mugshot will be taken. And um, this lo- other lawyer, the civil lawyer, says uh, that they expect Trump will fight all charges. Yeah, I would, I would think he probably will. Um, Trump's attorney said, I'm petrified for our country. This is third world stuff. D.A. Alvin Bragg will go down as the worst uh, D.A. in history. That's the one that's tr- making the charges. He is going to get his place in American history, and it's not going to be a good one. He has, this is a an about face from what this Bragg has done. George Soros funded his uh, campaign that got him elected. And um, as Greg Price was publishing this morning, he's pretty widely followed and and read. He said Alvin Bragg downgraded over half of all felony cases in Manhattan to misdemeanors last year, going after Donald Trump is the first time in his life that he's decided to be tough on crime. Uh, That's true. One other thing that I wanted to mention to you today before we talk about the significance of Palm Sunday and what we can reflect upon In our times today, the um, Trance Day of Vengeance was scheduled for Saturday over the weekend. And they kept saying, and people kept saying to them the last few days, and uh, they've been saying, should you be doing this? I mean, they're supporters. Should you be doing Yes, we're going to do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I guess they cooled off enough to uh, change their mind. And so they have canceled their event that was going to happen tomorrow called Trans Day, Transgender Day of Vengeance. That was the stupidest thing I've ever seen anyone do is to have that scheduled and then keep saying they were going to go through with it after what happened uh, at the Covenant Presbyterian School just a couple of days ago. So the Transgender Day of Visibility, which has started out to be with the president. President Biden supporting it had turned into the trance day of vengeance. Now they have, I think, wisely, if there's wisdom in that group, decided to cancel it. So that will not be in the news and it will not be happening, apparently, over the weekend. Let's talk a little bit about one of the most profound events in history. It's kind of started this weekend on a Sunday. Let's talk about the impact of that. Let's talk specifically about Palm Sunday. Next week, we'll talk about Good Friday and then the blessed Easter morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let's talk a little bit about Palm Sunday. The sun was rising rapidly. It was beginning to shoot its golden arrows across the horizon to to the gild the sky and curtain off the dawn that would bring a new day the history-filled city of Jerusalem, so says the poet. This is the festive season of Passover. You probably know that. The old city was filled with pilgrims and visitors and travelers who had come from many countries to share the feast. You may be surprised to know that the secular census of that time, the records indicate that there were at least 2.5 million people in Jerusalem for the event. There was an exciting rumor that was going around the people They were whispering, and some were saying it out loud, Jesus Christ is coming. That was kind of the the message that was going around among the camps. Behind him were his sermons. Ahead of him was his suffering. Behind him were his parables. Ahead of him was the passion. Behind him were his suppers of fellowship. Ahead of him was his last supper of betrayal. Behind him were the delights of Galilee. Ahead was dark Gethsemane. Prophecy has now to become practice. Jesus had spent the night last night at the home of friends in Bethany on the opposite side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. There were a couple of towns there, Bethany and Bethpage. They're about five miles apart, I think. Historians tell us that traditionally persons from various regions All had their special area around Jerusalem where they camped for these feast days. Not just this one, but others as well. The south end of Mount Olive had for years been the camping grounds of the people from Galilee. These were the unsophisticated, the unspoiled, the more rural people. That's the area where Jesus spent most of his time and performed most of his miracles. They probably knew him as Jesus Christ the man, better than anybody else. On several occasions, they tried to make him a king. They didn't quite understand his mission, but that's in John chapter 6, verse 15. Mark 12:37 says of them, the common people heard him gladly. The Galileans were the common people with whom he was very popular. In the city of Jerusalem, they, that's where the wealthy and the superficially religious leaders lived and hung out. They spoke to one another, and they believed that everybody in the whole world agreed with what they believed. They didn't know there was the other class, the other people. That's not unlike today, in our times. But that's the way it was then. Jesus had antagonized them by referring to the scribes and the Pharisees as hypocrites, Matthew 23. Also among them were the Sadducees, who had been plotting the downfall of Jesus Christ for quite some time. They were brilliant minds, but their minds were darkened. They didn't know who he was. They heard this about the Messiah. They heard about the Son of God. They didn't believe that. These people had been plotting his downfall, probably most importantly, because they wanted to preserve their wealth and their lifestyle. They had consorted with the conquering Romans. They had kind of assimilated into the Roman thinking and the Roman social order but in order to preserve their wealth and their lifestyle, they had compromised their so-called faith. We have those among us today. Our president would be one of those. he claims to be a devout Catholic Christian but yet his own church says but you, but you don't you don't live by all of our beliefs. We have those among us today. Nancy Pelosi has revised the Bible how many times as Speaker of the House. These man-pleasing priests and scribes, they plotted their nefarious death scheme. The poor Galileans didn't because they didn't have anything to lose, and they knew Jesus better than the people in the city. The city dwellers would do anything to placate the Romans in order to continue to prosper and keep their seat at the power table. That's what was going on. To them, the issue was the economy. Stupid, as we've said in our day. In their eyes, Jesus was an expendable. Maybe a deplorable. Besides, in the eyes of the religious leaders, he was a threat to the religious tradition. He was not the Messiah. He was some person who raised up and got a big following. That wasn't who they thought he was. The Messiah? No. Notice that in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, there are two groups that the Bible talks about. Those that went before were persons who had come out of Jerusalem because of their curiosity. It was a result of all the shouting and the carrying on. And there were those that followed and cried out. Those were the Galileans. We're quite a distance from that event today. I mean, it happened quite some time ago. None of us remember it firsthand, eyewitness. But from that, being a distance from that event, sometimes we tend to think that we merge the two crowds into one and we assume that it was the same people who were shouting Hosanna that also shouted crucify him. Sometimes we might think that they just changed their mind. They were that fickle. I suppose some did, but for the most part, that's not the case. It was the Galileans who shouted, Hosanna, and the aristocratic, superficially religious hypocrites of Jerusalem who wanted to appease the Romans, and they cried out, Crucify him! Or it was simply the misled and misinformed. They didn't know what was going on, they just got caught up in the crowd. But they were virtue signaling the Romans because they wanted to be in the good graces of the Romans. Which crowd would you have related to if you had been there? Well, it's easy. Two thousand years later, I would have been with the Galileans. I would have been saying, would you have though, really? I'm not saying you wouldn't have. I'm just saying, and I'm asking myself. Would I take a stand in the face of those kinds of events that were coming down on that, that weekend and particularly the next weekend? I think Palm Sunday is a good time to ask ourselves that question. Which crowd would I really identify with? Well, I identify with the people that love Jesus. What crowd would I have been willing to stand up with publicly? Let's talk a little bit about God's timing. That was an integral part of Palm Sunday. Timing is critical to everything we do. This program comes on here at 9 o'clock in the morning on ACN stations. And I will tell you, they push the button at 9 o'clock every morning. Timing is important. I might say some morning, I might say, well, I want to come on at 9.15 and I know some of you hear this program delayed a little bit, but in the same day. But I might say, I want to come on at 9.15, and then I'll decide to go off at 9.45 or whatever. Well, that doesn't work. Timing is critical to most everything we do. Doing the right thing at the right time is important. Don't grow weary and become discouraged in waiting for God's timing in your life, though, because God is never late it always it always seems and it always feels like or most always that when we need god to move supernaturally in our lives in our circumstances sometimes man we think god where are it where are you i i need you now you, you know but I, I need this it's too or it's too late oh lazarus is dead if only you had been here Earlier, he could be alive. Well, we know that story, and we know how it turned out. But when we live out our own story in life, so often we say, Lord, I love you, but you were late. This could have turned out so much better. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Oh, I forgot that you could do that. Timing is so critical, and yet timing is in God's hands. Not so much in our hands most of the time. God is never late. His clock is never wrong. He's always on time. And this event shows that we don't have to worry about God's timing because he's never late. Passover was a celebration commemorating the deliverance of the Jews from the Egyptian captivity. It always occurred on the 15th of the Jewish month of Nisan. That's about mid-April for us. And all who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem were required to attend. Actually, Jews from all over the world, very gladly, they gathered for this major happening. It's a big deal. It still is. There was always an air of excitement that preceded the Passover. Intensive preparation preceded it. Rows were repaired. Tombs were even whitewashed. Children were rehearsed in the significance of the event. They were gone over the story again and again and again. The prophet Daniel foretold when this momentum event would actually occur. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 25, and 26, he said it would be 173,880 days until it happened. you got to do the math, but that is the math. Jesus went to Bethany six days before Passover, John 12, 1, and entered Jerusalem the next day, April 6, 32. That was precisely... 173,880 days from the time of Daniel's prophecy. In this act, God the Father was further validating Jesus as the Messiah, and he was once again showing those who have eyes to see and ears to hear that he is never late. God's plan runs on time. This may have seemed to have been an impromptu happening. It may have looked kind of like, wow, Jesus is showing up. Man, this is spontaneously and so on. Oh no, it wasn't that at all. He had been scheduled in eternity, 173,880 days in advance. He was also dramatizing the fact that he keeps his word and he always performs on time. Incidentally, prophecy said the messiah was to come before the destruction of the temple the temple was destroyed in 70 ad with it all the records showing family ancestry it perished prophetically it was written that the messiah would be the descendant of abraham in genesis chapter 12 verse 3 genesis 1719 and jacob in numbers 2417 it was written that he would be from the tribe of judah genesis 4 Uh, 49.10, and heir to the throne of David, Isaiah 9.7. Birth records, title deeds, all of them were kept in the temple, and most all were burned. They had lost their records, and yet God's plan continued. If he were not the Messiah, some would wonder as they pondered this, if he's not the Messiah, who is he? Why does he have so much influence? Some of his detractors, some of those who would ultimately kill him, he would allow them to do that, but they would, and some of those who would ultimately be a part of that execution had to be pondering in their mind, boy, I, I don't believe he's the Messiah, and I believe he's disruptor and so on, but who is he? You cannot ultimately and always ignore Jesus. No matter who you are, whether you're then or now, Jesus Christ is so formidable because he is God in the flesh. You can't, you cannot just ignore him. You will fight him. You will become a quote-unquote atheist. You will become an activist. You will become whatever. Or you will become at least someone who stands on the sidelines and looks on and says, I wonder. I wonder if he's really who he says he is. There's a story that's told about this Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You may not recognize his name, but you'll know what he did. He's the famous creator of the Sherlock Holmes detective series. Those books have been read all and still are read all over the world. But he told this story in a speech once. I'm going to share it with you. He told this story about himself and about his identity. Here's, here's the way he told this story. These are his words, not mine. He said, he said he was waiting for a taxi outside the railway station in Paris. This taxi driver drove up. He put his suitcase in and got in himself. And he was about to tell the taxi driver where, they, where to go. And the driver said, where can I take you, Mr. Doyle? Well, Doyle was astounded. He said he asked the driver, he said, I asked him if he recognized me by sight. The driver said, no, sir, I've never seen you before. Puzzled, Doyle asked how the driver knew he was Conan Doyle. The driver responded, Well, this morning's paper had a story that you were on vacation in Marseille. This is the taxi stand where people who return from Marseille always wait. He said, Your skin color tells me you were on vacation. You were out there laying on the beach getting some sun. He said, The ink spot on your right index finger suggests to me that you are a writer. Your clothing is English, not French. Adding up all those pieces of information, I deduce that you are Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle sat back in his seat and he said, wow, he said, this is truly amazing. He said, you are a real life counterpart to my fictional character, Sherlock Holmes. There's one more thing, the driver said. Doyle said, yeah, well, what's that? He said, your name is on the front of your suitcase. The Messiah was identified to the world in great detail. The Jews rejected him. Many of us today continue to reject him. Some of us even claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. We claim to be one of his own, and yet we are not. We are not willing to stand. When the parades begin, when the people shout, when the cross is brought out, when the whips are taken out of their place in the, on the wall, and when it begins to get rough going, sometimes we take a step back and say, well, you know, boy, there, there's no need to put myself out there. I mean, if I'm destroyed, you know, and we rationalize all this stuff. And I could tell you for a certainty, and no, I wasn't there, but there were those in Jerusalem over the next seven days who had sort of believed that maybe Jesus was who he said he was, but they had suddenly decided, no, I don't want to be identified. This is going to get real ugly real fast. And it did. Peter was one of them. My goodness, he had spent all that time with Jesus. And yet, as we know, and we'll probably mention next week, next Friday, Peter was the one who told the little girl and others, no, I don't don't know him. When the going gets tough, we can really analyze. In the end, Peter was a hero of the faith. He stepped up. That doesn't mean that if we've made a mistake, if we've failed the Lord, if we have not been the person we should be in our service to him, all of us are imperfect. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we are not the person that we should be in those moments, it isn't unforgivable. But we must recognize that through the power of God living in us, we can stand for Jesus, even in the most difficult times. And this celebration led to one of the most difficult times in human history, where God who had become flesh and dwelt among us was ultimately led, as we will talk about next week, next Friday, I'm sure, as he was led to his death. And they thought they had silenced. They believed. The highbrows of Jerusalem really believed that they had finally silenced this voice that was so irritating, and it was so disruptive, and it so didn't fit their culture. But on the third day, I can't wait to tell you about that. We'll talk about that next next Friday. On the third day, everything changed forever. Thanks for being with me today. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for your support. We need it. I'll see you right here on Monday. And we'll continue this conversation about what's happening in the news. And next Friday, we'll talk about the death and resurrection.